Ready when you are. Ready. It's recording anyway. We're capturing that. <laughs> Solid gold. <laughs> it's more like it escaped, really. <laughs> but what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! Welcome to episode 148 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are... John Harmon, Dan Watkins, Peter Johnson, Andy Chandler. And I'm Hazel Chandler. It is our end of the year special as we each count down our top favourite things of the year. Plus, I have a little quiz to test the nerds' knowledge of what happened in 2023. So, let's start the show. So, 2023, eh? Yeah. It's a good one. <laughs> Unless you're Marvel. Unless you're Marvel. <laughs> DC. Yeah. So, 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 some thinking to do. <laughs> yes. There was some good and stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. What was your favourite experience of 2023? I did quite a lot of cool stuff in 2023. Went to Star Wars Celebration in London mm-hmm. in April. Saw footage of upcoming Star Warses that I think still haven't been released to the public, like trailers for The Acolyte and Season 2 of Andor. Yeah. Ahsoka wasn't my favourite series, but Ray Stevenson was far and away the best thing in it, and he got to soak up the crowd adulation at his announcement of being cast, so he got to get a little bit of that audience love before he sadly died. And it was four days of just Star Warsy nerdy <laughs> goodness. <laughs> so I had a great time. Bought too many t-shirts. And you rewatched Andor recently. That is my top thing of 2023, <laughs> is rewatching Andor. <laughs> just so good highlights for anyone else what have you enjoyed doing this year all the gigs all the gigs gigs. so there was a guy on the internet and uh there was a part he had the a guy a guy on the internet (laughs) and there was a thing about him having the guinness world record for attending the most number of gigs in the year Mm -hmm. and the number of gigs was 63 i'm like i'm pretty sure (laughs) you do that in a month (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's not a uh that's not a world record what if you're in a band? If you're in a band, you've had a gig probably more than 63 times a year. That's true. So, very quickly off the top of your head, we're not including gigs in our top threes of the year, yeah. but have you got a top three people um, you've seen? Okay. Oh. Again, I've got a top ten, but uh, Fight Like Apes, one of my favourite bands, doing their first gig since 2015, 2016. That was very special. Front row for Elton John at Glastonbury, which was one of those things where... I've always liked Elton John, but I wasn't, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say I was Elton's number one fan, but you realise, like, the number of hits he has, mm. and to just be there at, like, a really special occasion, I really enjoyed that. And a joint third for 90s comeback kings, Blur and Pulp. Mm. <laughs> and I'm seeing Pulp again on New Year's Eve. Don't call it that when you're there. I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> yes. Hogmanay. Yeah, so if I run to your front door, like, let me in, let me in, it's because I've used the wrong terminology. Yes. In Edinburgh. Yeah. Uh, speaking of gigs, I haven't yeah. gone to nearly as many as you. Mostly I just go to Springsteen gigs now. But we got to be very, very close to the front when he played at Edinburgh. And we were three rows from the front. He came over. He sang parts of some of the songs right in front of us. He was right there. And I think Amy and I would both agree that it is one of the highlights of our lives. Mm-hmm. Right? We've, <laughs> re-watched, we've yeah. re-watched that video. And it is just sheer... Joy, he was right there. Mm-hmm. So we are going again another two times in 2024. Wow. It'll get me into double figures for Bruce. We saw Iron Maiden. <gasps> we did see Iron Maiden. Yes, I forgot about that. That was awesome. Was Eddie there? He, yes, he was. He was. Yeah, yeah, he made several appearances and tried, tried to destroy the band several times and um, didn't quite manage it, but came close. Next time. He'll get him next time. He will. Ah, but how does it compete to Kiss? <laughs> Um, well, uh-huh. kiss suck. <laughs> so you do oh, it better. wrong. We're not going to disagree. <laughs> kiss were a lot of fun. Yeah. They, were, they were not musically great, but yeah. there was lots of lasers. It was spectacle. spectacles. Spectacles. Yeah. 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 
I would not have paid to have gone, but as a freebie, it was a, a nice experience. And the, the other memorable experience for us was waddling about in mud for a day. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> at, that uh, was a cubics. bonding experience, huh? It, it kind of it, was, it, actually. It, yeah, I mean, I, it was, I was 30 minutes away from killing and eating Peter until <laughs> um, the bus to take us back to civilization arrived just in time. Yeah, I was going to say, this was a music <laughs> festival. You didn't just go out to walk in some mud together. No. Yeah, but the burgers were so expensive. <laughs> <laughs> So you've experienced 2023, but can you remember it? No. No. So I have a quiz on basically movie taglines from the year. So I've oh. chosen a movie per month. Uh, guess the movie from the tagline. I thought you could all work together on this because, ah, you know, okay. Christmas nice. is a time of loving and, okay. you know. And fighting. Not, and fighting. <laughs> 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 so not keeping score. Just uh, just tell me if you think you can remember. What's the word in quiz shows where the team are allowed to... Conferring, that's it. (laughs) Okay, so from January, the tagline, she's more than a toy, she's family. Oh, Oh, Megan, whatever it's called. Megan. It is Megan, Megan. yes, well done. Or (laughs) Mithrigan. Shite Charles play ripoff. From February, the tagline is, the last tease. Magic Mike's last dance. Correct. (laughs) Did Louise make you watch that? Louise and I went the, together the to see that. in my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> From March. 65 million years ago, planet Earth had a visitor. 65? Well, 65. 65. <laughs> the clues in the title. Was, I, I watched that the other week. It's, it's dreadful. Yeah. It's, no, it's not. Mm. It's good fun. It's okay Yeah. It's full of dread. <laughs> in the, it's shit. <laughs> From <laughs> April. Stop serving, start living. Thought this is a bit of a tough one. I can give you Serving. another tagline, an alternative one, if you don't get it from this. Mm. Not Clerks 3, is that? Mm. That was no. probably last year. Weren't any tennis films this year, were there? Ah, an interesting twist on serving. Wimbledon 2? Wimble harder? Yeah, we're going to need the alternative here. Sucks to be him. Oh, that'll be Renfield. It is oh, Renfield. Yeah. Was that as yes. long ago as April? Mm-hmm. Possibly. I did this in a, a bit of a hurry. It may, may have conflated UK <laughs> and US realistics. <laughs> it was at least somewhere in mm. April. Uh, May, once more with feeling. Ooh, so that'll be a sequel. Mm-hmm. Was that uh, Sing 2, that animated one with all the animals? That Sing? Not, yeah. No, no, um, no. Not remember any big sequels that came out in May. What was the Guardians of the Galaxy Three? Correct. Yes. Okay. Okay. June. A legend will face his destiny. Quite generic. Or is it? Oh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Correct. Ah. Yes, it is. Absolutely. July. The world forever changes. That'll Oppenheimer. I think it's. Uh, it it could have been a Barbie just as easily. August. Heroes aren't born; they're mutated. That will be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem. Mutant Mayhem, mm-hmm. correct. Which I really, really liked. Yeah. Well, I took, took my nephew to see it. Wouldn't have gone to see it otherwise. But it was a real, real lot of fun. Good-hearted, mm. entertaining. Didn't overstay its welcome. You're doing very well at this. Uh, <laughs> this one's probably my favourite. From September. They'll die when they're dead. Oh, Is yeah. Expend four balls. Expend four balls. Expend four balls, yes. <laughs> yeah. They're up there with like the Suicide Squad and Impossible Mission now, aren't they? In, yeah. The inaccurate naming. This one from October. I don't think they intended it to be ironic, but it turned out to be. Question all of your faith. Marvels? Mm-mm. Oh, the fucking exist yes. piece of shit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> is it oh, rant time <laughs> it, such a fucking awful piece of shit <laughs> that I hope they took 10 trucks of money to Ellen Burstyn because she deserved every penny for having to humiliate herself in that fashion <laughs> oh, guys I think John's been possessed by an angry <laughs> demon <laughs> do you know what would be better than one demon 
two demons doing exactly the same thing for and then a 50 minute exorcism that makes no sense whatsoever and it's like fucking they don't want to offend anybody so they don't just have a priest they've got like a a, a, a native american you've got a catholic guy you've got a buddhist guy <laughs> genuinely it's like we'll get all the religions there and all that will oh and then there's a twist but it's not a twist it's just shit um, <laughs> sounds better than 65 though oh, oh. back to the quiz <laughs> Andy, remember Quantumania. <laughs> oh, there you go. From oh. November. Just to recalibrate, yeah, just to get 65, just up your list a little bit. Yeah, I mean, The Exorcist is number two in my top three, so. <laughs> <laughs> from November. He came from nothing, he conquered everything. Oh, Napoleon. Napoleon. Napoleon, oui. correcto. Did he come from nothing? He no, was not from no, a noble family. I would Certainly. say he probably came from his parents. He did. Hmm. He was not born into wealthy circumstances. Formidable. But nor did he conquer everything. <laughs> <laughs> From a lower middle class background to conquering <laughs> most of Europe. I get a lot of historians on my Twitter feed and a lot of them had a lot of fun with that tagline. Yes. Uh, from December. Post-war Japan, from zero to minus. Uh, Godzilla. Oh, minus Godzilla one. Minus one, which we haven't seen yet. We may have seen by the time this podcast has come out. We are very much looking forward to it. And oh, oh, I'm just oh, getting something oh, in oh. from the void via, via Ian Mayer. It sounds like yeah, Godzilla, Godzilla minus one. He's, he's, he hasn't seen it yet either, but apparently it's 41 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> it looks amazing. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. $15 million budget. And it just look, it looks better than most of the Marvel stuff. Yeah. I had a marathon metaphor for... A marathon meta- metaphor? Imagine you're doing a marathon mm-hmm. and you've got to run 26 miles. And in the first mile, you think you're five, but what you've actually done is you've, you've shit in your pants. Yeah. And you've got to carry that shit around in your pants for another 25 miles. And you get to mile two... Is when this you... Thor in that metaphor? No, this, this, is, this is Ant-Man Quantumania. Okay. Oh, I see. Yeah. I've got to carry this shit around in my pants for the next 25 miles, stroke movies. And then you get to mile two and you go, oh, oh, my stomach. Oh, it's another fart. At least this fart might at least clear out. <laughs> but no, it's not another fart. It's another shit. And that shit's called Secret Invasion. So now you've got to run around for another 24 movies oh, with two dear. massive shits in your pants and not being able to do anything about it. At least Loki season two was an old timer. Yeah. yeah. Should have done what Paula Radcliffe did and throw it aside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yes. shall we do our top three favourite things of the year? Yes. Okay, so we're going to go around all of us nerds, as is custom. Mm-hmm. So, where should we start? It's important who we start with, because then we end with someone, and whoever we end with needs to be, you know, good. Don't end with me. <laughs> I mean, it's the best film of the year, but you don't want to hear about it. <laughs> My number three pick for the year is The Last of Us. Ah, Yay! It started way, way back at the beginning of the year, but I don't think there's been much better than it, especially on TV this year. The first episode hooked me in straight from the prologue with John Hanna talking about the scary, scary, scary horror of the Cordyceps virus. It went in, it recreated the opening of the game faithfully, but in a new cinematic TV way. And then it kept going, and then you got episode three, which was just a masterpiece, and then it stayed pretty damn good all the way through to the end. It's going to be a while for season two, but I can't wait for it. How much of a while? Right as an actor strikes, put it back. It'll oh, be course. it'll be twenty twenty five easily. Oh. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad that made the list. It was one of my favourite things of the year as well. And I didn't play the game before that, but. I really got sucked into the story. I thought the characters and the story and the heart of it was what made it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't really get into it fully for a few episodes, but by the end it really, really hooked me in and I thought it was fantastic. And it got us into playing the game and um, scary, scary mushroom zombies. Oh yeah. Very scary. Mm -hmm. So, because there's quite an age jump, isn't there, in the original game? Between the first one and the second one? Yeah. So does this mean with the delays she'll be close to the right age? Probably. I think Bella Ramsey was the right age for Ellie in the second game when they were making the first series. All right. Because mm, they were 19 during the filming of it. Yes. So they'll be 
like 23 or so. And Ellie is 18 in the second game. Yeah. So it's a five-year time jump. Mm-hmm. And I think with, you know, with a bit of makeup and suspension of disbelief, it'll be absolutely yeah. fine. There's a lot of flashbacks in the second game as well. So, yeah. mm. John, you loved this series as well, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I mean, I, I loved the games. It was sort of some, some of my favourite games of all time. And I think I said at the time I was getting a bit zombied out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> and I think this really went back into and kind of reinvigorated it. I did something different with it. So I, I, I really, really liked it. I'm looking forward to season two. Mm. Peter, what's your number three before you put another flapjack in your mouth? <laughs> I was Sorry. Just about to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my number three is Hijack. Hijack. Hi, Jack. <laughs> Hi, Bobby. <laughs> this is a TV show from earlier in the year where Idris Elba is a negotiator trapped on a seven hour flight from Dubai to London, and hijackers take over the plane many, many hours earlier than they actually planned to. Every episode is nail biting. And it leads to a yet more far-fetched climax every time as the story takes ever more ridiculous twists as the plot is revealed more and more, which obviously I can't go into for fear of spoiling it. It really was an amazing, trashy joyride of a show. It reminded me uh, perhaps of The Bodyguard, which had a similarly ridiculously heightened reality, putting thrills over plausibility. This is the the Bodyguard TV series, not Whitney Houston. Yes. (laughs) There's surprisingly little singing in, in this one. It's a difficult line to ride. If you get it wrong, it can be like one of those comedy films where they make the bad guys overly violent to make him take you seriously, but you never actually do. But Hijack gets it right, whereas Bodyguard, for me, was a bit too much when, when I saw it. I thought they perhaps were on the wrong side of that line. 24 is, again, a similar sort of yeah. show. So if you like those Real types of thing. things, yeah. Mm. Elba glues it all together. You have to believe that one person could be charismatic enough to persuade people pretty much to do anything, including talk the hijackers out of killing someone or spot something like a furrowed brow or a bead of sweat or something at an entire plane's distance. Yet somehow he pulls it all off and you believe it, while the tension's expertly wound up and then relaxed, a bit like a well-tuned roller coaster where it's all about balancing the scary bits and the relaxed bits and you always have the... A few boring bits you can cut to to relieve the tension. I love those bits. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Apple TV. Apple TV, yes. Yeah. They've had another good year. Oh, yeah. Mm. A brilliant year. I really enjoyed this too. Mm. Um, I thought it was seven episodes, wasn't yes. it? They, uh, the timing was like they they hit the the peak of it at the end of each episode and he's like, we've got to like see what happens yeah. next. And I was like, oh, I can't wait a week for that. Some of the most enjoyable TV shows that I watched in the early 2000s, like 24, is like a hallmark back to that. And it wasn't afraid to be that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, th- I thought it was brilliant. Too, I, I liked it a lot more than I expected I would. Mm-hmm. So I was only half listening. So about being you, so about you being expertly pulled <laughs> off by Idris Elba? Uh... Andy, what's your number three? <laughs> My number three is a uh, subtitled European drama. Uh, it's, it's One Fine Morning. Um, it's a French film from uh, Mia hansen um about a young widowed mother struggling to cope emotionally with her ailing father who was suffering from a neurodegenerative disease. No genocide in this one. As she tries to find him a suitable care home, she finds some comfort in a romantic relationship. She begins with an old friend, but matters are complicated by him being married. Uh, it's, it's a tender, beautiful examination of a woman kind of handling her pain and Gradually finding some joy in her life uh, and had maybe my favourite performance of the year from Leah Sedu. She was absolutely phenomenal and it's gentle and quiet and understated, uh, but at the same time kind of emotionally devastating in, in the best possible way. Lovely film. It's is on it movie. Best, there's a best way to be emotionally devastated. Yes. It, it must be in French. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed this as well. It was really, uh, yeah, incredible performances. Uh, some things that many of us are facing and will have to face soon which is um, ailing and aging parents Um, and yeah it really 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 got to me great film I'm not cultured enough to have seen it I think (laughs) the only French film I saw this year was probably The Three Musketeers d'Artagnan that was brilliant as well hopefully to be followed up by Milady which is out this month I I was very confused when I saw the trailer for Milady because I didn't even realise the first one had come out Think, we talked about it on the podcast. Yeah. You were here. <laughs> I, I was here, but I, I clearly forgotten. So I was watching the trailer, thinking I, they're still doing trailers for this film, and I, I didn't realise it was two parts. It was very confusing. But anyway, yay French cinema! Yes, surely we French cinema. Pardon, 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 pardon. Je suis désolé. My number three is Jedi Survivor, a um, computer game. Uh, it's a thing that got me back into first-person quest-style computer games. It's, actually, it's, it's third-person. It's what? It's a third person. 
when you can see the person you're playing as is the person when you can only see the hands. That's when your foot. Yep. <laughs> it's. <laughs> I get it now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do that again. <laughs> but I'm sure Peter's going to use the mistake. <laughs> The thing that got me back into third-person computer games is Jedi Survivor. I bought this having not played the first game, which is called Jedi Fallen Order. And I bought it purely on the basis of a review in The Guardian, which described it as a blockbuster with maverick energy and sweeping vistas. I love a sweeping vista, so uh, (laughs) I bought it. So the story focuses on Cal Kestis, who is a Force-sensitive human who served in the Clone Wars until the Grand Army of the Republic betrayed its Jedi officers after receiving the command to execute Order 66. In the first game, Cal hones his Jedi skills, like learning to run on walls and push and pull. Um, He develops a few more skills in this game, and he also continues to fight the Empire with a few new allies and a few new foes. The droid BD-1 remains the best thing in it. Yeah. <laughs> Is he your fave? Oh, yes. For me, I, I love the world building. I love the storytelling and all of the character interactions. But I just love the way that it made me fall back in love with third person computer games. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was maybe a bit too similar to the first one. Was my, but Obviously, you haven't played that. But, but I did. I, I went and bought it. I don't know. I, yeah. uh, I think they're both different, but they, they, they had their own storylines as well. I just loved the way that I looked forward to playing it every night, and mm. I hadn't had that feeling with a yeah. PlayStation game in ages. Mm. So that's why I made it my top three. Yeah, I think the, the last time I felt like that about a game was probably when the Spider-Man games last came out. I haven't yeah. played the new one yet, but Fallen Order I've played through a couple of times, still get completely lost. Mm-hmm. in most levels, and the map is no help. That map is painfully bad still, yeah. even in the second one. It's not great, but I, I can use that map. It, I think it's not as bad as everyone says. I got lost less in Jedi Survivor, and mm-hmm. it's a bigger game as well, so that's that's no small thing. Yeah, There's one level set on Jedi in particular where you take control of a different character, mm-hmm. and that was just amazing. I yes, really I loved about. that level. It's probably my favourite thing from both of the games. John, your number three. My number three is a fairly recent film. Uh, it's is it from 2023 by any chance? <laughs> yes. <laughs> fairly recently in 2023. And can you guess which actor this film might star? Morgan Freeman. Mm. No. Eddie Marsan. Tom Hanks. No. <laughs> no. Samuel L. Jackson. Obviously no. Nicolas Cage. It was Mr. Nicolas Cage in Dream Scenario. Is that a good year? Is yeah, Mr. a good Cage? year. Yes. Is it Renfield? Dream Scenario, was in, what was the other film he was in? Hmm. Two films, anyway. Two films, but <laughs> for him, you know, two good films. Oh, no, he also did Sympathy for the Devil, which I'm afraid is a bit of a stinker. What's Dream Scenario like? Really, really good. I think we all kind of know the premise. Nicolas Cage is just like a mild mind professor, a bit dweebish, um, not really well respected by his friends or family, and he starts just appearing in people's dreams. He's appeared in my dreams regularly for the last 15, 20 years. But, uh, Do you think you appear in his dreams? I, I hope so. Okay. I mean, the restraining order he's got against me suggests that I'm somewhere in his consciousness. <laughs> and it's really good fun. Um, it's quite a low-key Nicolas Cage performance with a couple of exceptions. And it reminds you that, you know, he's not a meme and he can actually act similarly to Pig a couple of years ago. Mm. Right. It's really fun and unusual. It doesn't quite stick the landing. I would have liked to have maybe gone weirder with the dreams a little bit. You could tell it was a very low-budget film, so they are kind of limited to some extent in what they could do in that regard. But it had a lot of things to say about cancel culture and internets and memifications and people that become public figures and the way the tide can turn against them very, very suddenly. It has the funniest sex scene I've seen in a long, long time. Funniest. <laughs> in many, many years. Um, you have to, I, I can't spoil it, but sex scene is pushing it, but it's very, very, very funny. And just, you know, as, as, as I always say, I like films with ideas, and this had a, had a lot of ideas, even if it didn't get them all quite there. Hmm. Lovely. I've not seen it, but will at some point when it comes to streaming. Mm-hmm. I think it does sound like a lot of fun. I think the, you say it didn't stick the landing. That seems to be a common criticism that it, the ending couldn't quite fit the rest of the film. The very, very last scene I liked, but there's a bit in the last 20 minutes where it goes off in a different direction. 
you could feel the air going out of the room in the cinema a little bit, mm. actually, weirdly enough. Mm. Did you fart? Well, other people were there. <laughs> <laughs> Dream cage better than Dracula cage. Yes. Mm. What did you make of the uh, maybe news that Nicolas Cage may be considering retiring from acting in films and transitioning into television because the long form format will give us more opportunity to develop a character? I wasn't that keen on the news, so I have made an anonymous call to the IRS to make sure that he <laughs> <laughs> continues making 20 terrible films a year for many years to come. Excellent. Excellent. All right, we're on to round two. So, Dan, what is your second favourite thing of the year? Mine is a musical which I saw this August called Kathy and Stella Solve a Murder. We talked about it briefly on the podcast this summer. It played every night at the Edinburgh Fringe, and I would have happily gone to watch it every night for a month. It's very funny, the songs are great, the characters are great, the performances are great, but the first time I saw it, it felt like I was watching something special. I felt like audiences in New York must have felt in the 70s when they saw Howard Ashman and Alan Menken's first show, when they saw something like Little Shop of Horrors for the first time. It felt like you were watching something that was about to become the biggest thing that was going to reverberate for years and years and years. It was just phenomenal. It has since gone and toured in a few venues around the UK. Hopefully there'll be more touring going on in 2024 and it's got some sort of big name producer attached and it becomes as famous as it deserves to be because mm-hmm. it's great. Yeah, I saw this with you, I think, actually. Yeah, yeah I, I really, really enjoyed it. Well, mm-hmm. I'm really sad I missed it at the Fringe. Everybody was sort of going crazy over it and I think we were quite lucky to get tickets because we were there towards the end of the run. I think it will do a six. Mm-hmm. I think it will win the West End within a year or two. Do you think... It'll not be back at the Fringe again. Do you think they're bigger than the Fringe now? I wouldn't be surprised to see it back in a... It was in a kind of extended version. It was about 70 minutes, wasn't it, mm-hmm. when we saw it? So it felt like they're working the way towards kind of a two-act interval. I could see it coming to one of the big theatres, like the assembly rooms or somewhere like that, and having it, having a run. Mm. Yeah, if it turns up on tour near you, I can't recommend it enough. Nice. Mm. Peter, what's your number two? My number two is Doctor Who coming back. Number two, Doctor Who. You'd go back to see one of the episodes, say, from Tennant's first run, and they were amazing compared to the sort of stuff that was being trogged out at the end of Chibnall's run. It lost all the things that were good about it. So the news that RTD, the person who sort of brought it back to life after a big, long gap, had gone back to running it, was both surprising and amazing and great news for everyone, really. Which is unusual, because normally people who've run Doctor Who become really unpopular with people who watch Doctor Who for some reason after a while. They find something to get sick about. But not only has he brought that back, but he's also done a whole load of stuff to do with the 60th anniversary. Ideas he had at the last minute, like Tales of the TARDIS, which is where they take an old-fashioned episode and stick a little sort of beginning and end sequence on with two of the people who are in the episode, probably the Doctor and their companion. Just little things like that that give you something new and breathe a bit of life back into it again and all the episodes coming on to iPlayer as well I watched a great thing with David Tennant talking about all the various different doctors and what they meant to him when he was growing up original footage of doctors appearing on like Blue Peter and things like that and that's really good obviously the big thing is bringing Tennant back and Catherine Tate back to do this sort of short three episode run that kind of reminds everyone that Doctor Who can actually be good before introducing the new Doctor So I'm really looking forward to that. I know Ian, who's a massive Doctor Who fan, says the last episode to him was like the best episode of Doctor Who he ever has seen. To clarify, we've seen two of the three episodes. So when you're referring to the last episode, you're referring to the middle one. Blue Yonder, I think it's called. We haven't seen the finale yet. Yes, that's right. We're going to see that later today, probably. And yeah, it's been great. It's breathed life into a corpse, in effect. (laughs) (laughs) It's regenerated, I suppose you could say. Which which is a, a great shame for Jodie Whittaker because she could have been great. Mm-hmm. The episode she was in didn't serve yeah. her well. She didn't really stand much of a chance amongst all of the deep lore and massive long story arcs. The first episode of this short mini run mm-hmm. is just a fun adventure, all glory to the meep. And it's the kind of episode that the, the 13th Doctor never got to have. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed the last 13th Doctor one with the the Master of the Disputing and the mm. old Doctors coming back. But I didn't watch any of the two series before that, so mm. I have no idea what a flux is or a timeless child or a, a, a gentle wank, whatever the... <laughs> All glory to the meep. <laughs> meep. Is that what you say? 
It's what I say to most things now. <laughs> Has there ever been a Geordie Doctor Who? No, there have been several Scottish ones, some of which pretended to be English. Where's Paul McGann from? Is he... Liverpool. Liverpool, yeah. So he's probably the closest. I'll watch when they get a Geordie Doctor Who. Andy, what's your number two? My number two is close, uh, which... It's un- a the toilet then. <laughs> <laughs> it's just in the next room. <laughs> Very well done. Very uh, swift. And pause and refresh. <laughs> Wipe. <laughs> Surprisingly, it's a subtitled uh, European drama film that's no. in a movie. Um, this one's from Belgium, and it's about two 13-year-old boys who are inseparable best friends. Uh, they start a new school together, and one of them becomes very upset by mockery that they receive because of their closeness and pulls away from his friend who can't understand the rejection. It's painfully relatable. There's a kind of really beautiful friendship um, at the start, and then it gives way into tension and and sadness and then halfway through the film there is an event and uh it changes everything and then the second half of the film is is a rumination on grief and guilt Uh, it's a deeply emotional film emotionally devastating in a very very good way and it's it's uh beautiful and and tender as as was my last film um which is completely different because it was french and this is uh french but belgian (laughs) but it's it's really really lovely it was nominated for uh, Best International Picture at the Oscars this year and pr- presumably won. Uh, I assume it did. Mm-hmm. It deserved to. It's lovely the Oscars to put all the world apart from them into one Oscar, isn't it? And as opposed to 20 odd for them. Yeah, I think that that's perfectly reasonable. Um, how, how many times have you all seen this film this year? <laughs> uh, none. I have heard about it and I am completely certain it's really, really good, but it almost sounds too real for me to be able to Mm. emotionally cope with watching it. With me, certain things that hit too close to home, I find them a real struggle to watch and get through. Sometimes there are certain things where I think, I don't think I could manage that. Yeah, This sounds like one of those, that is not to say anything against its quality. I'm sure it's great, but I don't think I would ever be able to watch it. This is reasonable. Which just means it's doing its job. (laughs) All right. So my number two is the final season of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, it the all... Marvels? No, no, no. Very no. The Marvels, no. The mar- the marvels very... and Mrs. Maisel. Didn't expect you to hear that in the top three, did you? <laughs> top three hundred. <laughs> it is. It very would get much in the top marvels. three MCU things for the year. Really? That's because of only three released. <laughs> I mean, it's better than Quantumania and Secret Invasion, <laughs> isn't it? So. <laughs> very, very much not the Marvels. It is all about Rachel Brosnahan's character, Midge Maisel. I think I might have recommended the first season a few years ago. This is a story set in the 1950s and then goes through to the early 60s, I think. She starts off as a housewife with very little purpose or guidance other than do exactly what her husband tells her to do. Then he did the most cliche thing in the world, slept with his secretary. And Midge did what any wronged wife would do. She got drunk and went to perform stand-up comedy. Um, so not this, my first choice. <laughs> this season starts with her in bed with hypothermia, having got caught in a blizzard, and she's just said no to being anyone's opening act, even Tony Bennett, who offered. Hmm. She then gets a job as a writer for the Gordon Ford Show, which I think is a made-up show, but it's Doesn't like ring a bell. Yeah. In the 1960s, so she's, it's the first time a woman has ever been let into the writer's room and she fights tooth and nail for her jokes to get on the air and then she fights tooth and nail to be featured on the show herself. Reader. Very mini spoiler, she does get on in the final episode but it's not what you expect and her scene there is one of the most gut-wrenching, heartfelt, spectacular things I have ever seen on screen. It like I'm still kind of like, my eyes are like itching with tears thinking about it now. It was an incredible end to an incredible series. It also featured a few flash forwards, so we kind of got to see Midge at the height of her stardom in the 1980s with all like permed hair and everything. It's great. Uh, so yeah, if you haven't seen any of this yet, do give it a go. One of the sharpest, funniest, and just best looking TV shows I've ever seen. Mm, yeah, so, yeah, lots of shows reached their very end this year. We got the end of Succession, we got the end of Barry, we got the end of Ted Lasso, but it sounds yes. like... Mo- <laughs> Possibly more than any of them, Mrs. Maisel stuck the landing. Oh, yes. An incredible final episode. Mrs. Maisel is the new Lois Lane. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yes, Rachel Brosnahan, uh, which is why uh, one reason I'm really quite excited for that film. All right, John, 
Your number two. My number two is beef. <laughs> I really need to improve my diet. <laughs> As a vegetarian, what's your opinion on beef? <laughs> so, yeah, beef was the Netflix series created by Lee Sung Jin. Uh, the Netflix series with Stephen Wan and Ali Wong as a couple who are involved in a relatively minor road rage incident, neither of which are willing to let go of. And the beef, as the title implies, gets bigger and bigger until it becomes all-encompassing and consumes both their lives and their friends' lives. And I really, really liked it. It's it's um, beautifully shot, very, very well written in that kind of drama written comedy style. I think we talked about before, the same thing with like Succession and those kind of things where every line is diamond sharp and could be, you know could be a one-liner. It goes in really really unexpected places particularly in the last couple of episodes it doesn't follow the narrative you think it's going in and that's very interesting brilliant performances from everybody involved it's when it says where you shouting at the screen like just please stop being idiots <laughs> there's a few places where they're kind of offered get out of jail free cards almost mm-hmm. and you can see them about to take it and then just being a little bit too arrogant or a little bit too self-centered and again it just keeps spiraling and uh i loved it like um, like the best improv scenes is where they've offered a solution but it's like no because that yeah. would be too good let's yeah. make this worse <laughs> yeah. has anyone seen beef no we no. watched the first episode yeah. and we liked it and just just never went i don't back know what, it didn't it. grab us i don't know why um mm. yeah maybe should have stuck with it yeah i would i would give it and give it, it another an, go another go i don't think it's a massive number of episodes in the fairly short i think it's a it's a, you know a binge in a weekend mm-hmm. would you describe beef as being very well done <laughs> mm. <sighs> I, I would say a series as good as this is quite rare mm. <laughs> nice all right we are on to our number one picks for 2023 dan your favourite thing of the year. Okay, so my favourite thing of the year was from season two of The Bear, specifically episode seven, which is called Forks. And for the season and a half before this episode, I found the character of Richie, played by Eben moss Backrack, to be frustrating and stressful, and I didn't get on with him at all. After this episode, he was my favourite character. I completely understood him, and he had my entire heart. The episode setup is that he's been sent to a very fancy fine dining Michelin star restaurant to learn the front of house and how they do things and the pride they take in what they do. And there's a moment, a short sequence in this episode where it just all clicks for him and he gets it. Not just the job, but his entire life he's been drifting aimlessly. He's not had a purpose and suddenly he gets it and he knows what he's doing and he knows what he's going to do. And it leads to this two-minute sequence, which is just the most euphoric, glorious, joyful thing I've maybe ever seen. It reminds you of those perfect days and times where you just want to sing as loud as you can and shout and punch the air. (laughs) And you're smiling so much you can't stop crying. And that's the feeling I got from that episode. And I love it. 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 Wow. Mm. Incredible. John, have you ever smiled so much that you can't stop crying? (laughs) (laughs) Mainly the other way around. (laughs) So I, I loved the episode as an individual episode of TV. I didn't quite buy the wholesale transformation in the character. Like he came back and he was silly, almost a completely different character for the rest of the series. I think it had been building towards that. You could mm. you could see hints of it. There's the person he wants to be underneath yeah. it all, and it's just buried under so much having been put down and hostility and the stress of the environment he's been in. It just needed that one opportunity mm-hmm. to go, this is the person you can actually be, and he got the chance to do it. And it, there can be those moments that change everything for you. Mm. And it's, it, yeah, you don't need... 10 hours necessarily to do that if you do it right and I think they did it right mm. the, the bit with Olivia Coleman at the end is just beautiful the, the yeah. conversation everything yeah. I didn't, we were talking about season the landing I know it's not a finale but I, I thought the season finale of the bear didn't really land for me the rest of the season I could give or take but mm. that, that one episode it was just perfect 
Awesome. Mm. It's, and family episode as well was also great. No. Nope. nope. Didn't, didn't get on with the, the previous episode is the one that's <laughs> the previous episode is the one that's had all the plaudits. It's had yeah. all the acclaim. It's got the starry cameos. It's got lots of people shouting at each other. Didn't like it at all. Mm. So the happy, joyful, euphoric episode I liked, John, didn't <laughs> the stressful, shouty one yeah. other way around. Well, they, right. yeah, yeah. Different opinions. I think yeah. Forks worked as a little mini movie on its own, didn't it? Yeah. Like a little half hour. Yeah. All right. Peter, what's your number one? My number one is Spider-Man Across the Universe. Are you sure about that? Because it's called Across the Spider-Verse. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll do that again. <laughs> Have you seen this film? <laughs> I, I wrote it quite quickly. <laughs> okay, let's do this one last time. <laughs> so my number one is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, and it is quite hard to get the right title because... Yeah. What's the other one? Into, Into the, the Spider-Verse. Spider-verse. Yeah. And then we're going beyond the Spider-Verse, hopefully, yeah. next year. To get even more confusing. This continues from Into the Spider-Verse, which five years ago introduced alternate Spider-Man Miles Morales, and still stands out as the best of a flood of multiverse stories that's tied up Marvel for years. It brought an amazingly individual, artistic style into how the world was represented. Whereas so many modern animated movies look and feel essentially like the same film, in this one, they've really gone all in on the artwork, with backdrops sometimes turning to colour washes that represent the mood of the character, and the different universes and characters they encounter represented with totally different art styles to go with the scenery. But it somehow manages to never be jarring and pull you out of their world. Instead, it invites you in to wonder. A few times watching it, I just found myself thinking, this is actual art. Mm-hmm. Which might seem a weird thing to say, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like art with a capital, not only A, but the R and the T and an exclamation yeah. mark afterwards. That's, ah, that's how you spell it. <laughs> Other times, as they meet someone in, drawn in Da Vinci cartoons or 70s punk zine style, it's delightful madness. But what really makes it work is some of the writing and performances. There are a few really long sequences of two characters talking, which work amazingly. The family relationships explored here should be the envy of many live-action movies. The whole thing is an amazing achievement. Uh, I think maybe John and I slightly, when we saw it, we, we had a sort of disagreement with the ending slightly. Yeah, yeah I I, not, it was more that I, it wouldn't be my top film because we've only seen half a film. It didn't really... Come no. to a conclusion. Well, that's ridiculous because the amount of time we'd seen and the amount that is in it to call yeah. it half a film. Yeah, I, no, I I remember us all going to see it, and we did we did pod that weekend, and a few of us were thinking, yeah, it was mainly the ending that we were catching on a little bit. I went to see it a second time a little bit after that, and a lot of the issues I had around that were totally fixed on a, on a second viewing. Same here. Like, do you get a complete arc in the film? No, you don't. That's the problem I had with that. But it, that's because they'd started the next arc and they shouldn't mm, have done. They yeah. went too far with that second arc to try and get to a cliffhanger moment. And I think that's what went wrong. But on the other hand, say, Back to the Future, you never had the feeling with that little tagged on bit at the end yeah. where they uh, back to off the future mm. to a totally different thing. You didn't feel you hadn't seen a full thing in the no, first it's because movie. in Back to the Future they had resolved the main story. Yeah. And in Spider-Verse, they hadn't resolved anything. It's just they've stopped halfway through a story. Mm. That that was definitely the mm-hmm. feeling I got on a first time. But I think having gone in there knowing that it definitely helped a lot and I didn't catch on anything that gave me a little issue the, mm-hmm. the first time. So I'm mm-hmm. going to say, for me, it was a me thing and not other film thing. But your mileage may vary on that. It was one of my favourite films of this year mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. I think Split we all opinion. loved it, apart from the ending, apart from Andy. And you, I don't think you were not massively keen all the way through, were you? I didn't like the film. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, too, co- too colourful? Yeah, actually. Too <laughs> comprehensible? It was a lot to take in. Yeah, yeah. it was. Um, I, I really appreciate what, the, what they tried to do with the uh, artistic style, and I get why everyone likes it, but it didn't work for me. It was too busy. It was too much. Um, it was distracting. And I had issues with the story and certainly with the humour. So it, it very much wasn't for me. But I get why everyone likes it and I'm, I'm i'm not aghast at why everyone is on board as i am about so many other things <laughs> <laughs> all right well time for you to uh exalt your opinion on your number one uh well of course so i'm going to tell you what the best film of the year is and is impossible will, will we have heard of it <laughs> yes because i've spoken about it on the podcast before <laughs> it's completely different to my last two entries into this podcast 
because fully partly in French. No, <laughs> don't it's be ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's in Italian. It's uh, a subtitled European drama film. It's in Italian, not French, and it's on BFI player, not movie, so it's oh. totally different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the Eight Mountains or uh, Le Otto Montagna. Um, and it's uh, a story spanning many years in which two boys meet and become close friends in the Italian Alps. They drift apart and reconnect as grown men, learning about life from one another. Uh, it's a gorgeous film, gorgeous to look at, gorgeous to feel, emotionally devastating in parts, uh, but in a really good way. Um, and it's about identity and discovering your own approach to life. Um, it's got interesting, rich characters and a nuanced, naturally developing friendship at its heart. And it's just phenomenal. And it, it says lots and lots of things and they all resonated with me. And um, there's brilliant acting and just just bloody awesome mountains and lovely yes. mountains. Splendid <laughs> vistas. Oh, yes. The it's, vistas were the vista. magnificent. You do like a vista, oh, Hazel. I fucking love one. <laughs> Get a load of those vistas. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was uh, brilliant. It was the best film of the year. Uh, I assume you all agree. It is incredible. The story of how two people's relationship, which is quite complicated, evolves over the years. One of my favourite things to put on film. And this was done in a fucking splendid vista. It really was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, I, I applaud that choice. It was an incredible watch at the cinema. I went to Italy on holiday this oh. year and Ooh. may have seen up to and including eight mountains. Or possibly the same mountain eight times. Is that close? Close was Andy's second film. (laughs) Eight Mountains of the title refers to a Buddhist philosophy where there's eight mountains in the world, metaphorically, in life. Seven of them are dotted around in a circle and then the eighth one is in the middle and the eighth one is you or something like that. I didn't actually understand that bit. Is it part of the free selection on BFI Player or is it part of the paid bit? It's part of the paid. It's They've got three sections in BFI. One's just free films. One is you subscribe and then these are all available. And another one is you pay individually to rent. This is part of the subscription. It's very much worth it. It'll be a free trial. Go get a free trial of BFI Player and watch The Eight Mountains and tell me what you think, please and thank you. All right, my number one. It had to be... Oppenheimer. Hi, Barbie. Oh. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> It was my most anticipated film of the year, which meant it was under a lot of pressure, just from me. But it was more than enough. Well, thanks for the reaction there. (laughs) (laughs) So, first of all, Greta Gerwig. Amazing. Like This is what happens when you trust someone's vision and let them run with it. It is a far deeper film than I think anyone was expecting about a story based on a plastic doll. But it's her script and her direction that make it so, so impactful. It's a film essentially about existentialism. There is a song, I think it's by Billie Eilish, and the song is called What Was I Made For? It forces Barbie to look under the surface and outside of her circle of yes men to find out who she really is and not anybody else's idea of who she is. And that is an incredibly powerful message uh, that really, really resonated with me because when I was growing up, I was like, what's everybody else's idea of who I should be? And let me go to that, that path. And this film is very much no, who you are is perfectly okay. It's also incredibly funny. Mm. I have not laughed as hard as I did in the cinema when I heard the line and all of a sudden I'm having really strong feelings about Zack Snyder's Justice League. It was so <laughs> yeah. genius. Talk about knowing your audience. Ryan Gosling riding a fake horse and the men going to war because of fucking course the men are going to go to war. Like I wasn't on the podcast when you reviewed this and Andy very kindly spoke on my behalf. So I just want to reiterate one thing that I said then. A person wrote into the Commode and Mayo podcast saying how concerned he was about the gaggles of women flocking to the cinema dressed in pink to uncritically absorb propaganda. This is just so not what happened and anyone who thinks this is deeply disturbed. Anyway, um, this movie is a celebration of femininity, making your own choices and getting lost in the moment. And this was just by far and away my favourite thing of the year. Mm, Yeah, amazing choice. Um, I love this film. And as much as I would like to say that The Eight Mountains is the best film of the year, I think Barbie is the film of the year. And I think a wonderful way to judge how excellent it is, is look at the calibre of utter assholes that are annoyed by this film. <laughs> Piers Morgan hates this film. That has got to be worth something. Yeah. 
There's this thing where you, you heard Barbie movie, and I was like, no, thank you. And then you hear Greta Gerwig's Barbie movie, and you yeah. go, hmm. hmm. Yeah, and it was probably my favourite film of the year, I think, mm. as, as well. Really, really funny, really, really sharp. Ryan Gosling, who I don't dislike as much as Louise, but I'm not... I'm, I'm, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cold dead eyes of a murderer. Yeah, I think yeah. Yes. <laughs> he is a weird one. But I thought he was great in it, and yeah. clearly having a lot of fun. And Margot Robbie, not to be... like She's just not getting the headlines for her starring role, but she was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. She's great in everything. Yeah. It's mm. probably a sad indictment of the patriarchy that everyone's going, wasn't Ryan Gosling good? <laughs> yeah. I think she, yeah, she produced it as well as starred in it. Yes. And she's been doing sort of interviews fairly recently, like end of year award interviews and stuff, and she comes across as a very, very smart, savvy producer yeah. as well, who was actually really involved in the creation of it much more than, yeah. than I realised. So there was a question on the Empire podcast a couple of weeks ago. If you had to choose an actor whose films you could only watch from here to whenever. You don't know what films are going to star in, but you just follow one actor and you have to watch every one of their films that they create. I chose Margot Robbie Mm -hmm. because of the choices that she'd made so far and because of the issues that she believes in. Good choice. All right, John. Yeah. Bear in mind that this is the crescendo of our list. It's all so built up to this, It's going to be epic. I you know it. I can feel it. You are the peak of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Of the ultimate. Yeah. Yeah. So right up until joining this podcast, I've been trying to decide which of two things to go with. And <laughs> That's a good sign. That is a good sign, yeah. Um, and I think I'm going to go with Dead Ringers, the TV series, which I absolutely adored. John Colshaw, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> and it, it's, it's actually kind of interesting some kind of comparisons with barbie you could say actually in that it's a very much a, a feminist mm-hmm. uh piece of work and what is probably more blood and violence I would slightly guess. slightly less blood and violence in dead ringers <laughs> <laughs> but dead ringers was i mean i'm a big cronenberg fan and uh in the 1988 dead ringers film is great but i would say is problematic and very clearly told from a male perspective which considering the themes of what it's about, mm. is slightly uncomfortable and dated. Because it's set in a obstetrician? A gynaecologist. That's the one. Yeah. Sorry, so, yes. so it's identical to twin gynaecologists. Yes. In the original film, they are played by Jeremy Irons. And in the remake, the gender switch, which doesn't always work. I understand why they do it sometimes, but sometimes when they just go, oh, we've done a gender switch. For the sake of it. It doesn't always land. But with this... With the themes of it, and also with being created by Alice Birch, who is a brilliant playwright, it brings a whole new tone to it. And it's interesting to see a familiar film from a completely different perspective. And all the way through, it's very, very funny, very bright. Bright as in intelligent, not bright as in sunshine and happiness. Rachel Weiss is amazing in the twin roles. Again, playing two very, very different characters. It's a tough watch. It's very graphic, but it's very graphic for a reason. Did you hear Tough Wank? I did. Yeah. It's a tough wank. I thought he did. (laughs) She could tell by my expression. (laughs) It's a tough wank, but not impossible. (laughs) Six episodes. About seven hours to work your way up to some sort of desperate, crying, lonely climax. <laughs> no, it's, it's a, it is a it's a tough watch, but it's very much a tough watch for the right reasons. Unpleasant things happen in it, but they need to happen for the plot to work. So I remember you saying at the time uh, about trigger warnings and how there being a trigger warning in the last episode, which yeah. uh, actually became a spoiler. There's a trigger warning at the start of the first episode, which has a lot of the more graphic stuff in, and. I think that's justified because thematically it could be very upsetting and triggering to certain people who have gone through similar situations. The problem that I had was with the last episode where it says it contains X and you go, okay, we know how this story is going to end now. Mm, Elon Musk buys Twitter. Elon, yeah, yeah warning, <laughs> warning contains scenes of Elon Musk. <laughs> I understand why it's there, but um, if you were in Australia and you went to see A Star Is Born... They put a trigger warning on the start of A Star Is Born and everyone's going, well, that's the oh, ending okay. of that uh, film. I see what you mean, yeah. I knew we would end on an epic. And bits of it are but it's also really, really funny in places. The more outgoing Rachel Wise character is a classic evil 
villainess kind of you think like the devil wears part of that kind of very sharp yeah. caustic wit and you, you you get a lot of that which is entertaining cool mm. There's probably things that I enjoyed more and things, but it felt a little bit like it's got overlooked as well in the pile of really good TV that we've had this year. And it's one of the things that I feel deserve more recognition that I got, and I quite mm-hmm. like to champion it from that point of view. I feel quite upset that I've not seen this, but I have seen Secret Invasion. <laughs> Yes, so that was our favourite things of 2023. If you agree or think they were ridiculous choices, then I'm sure you'll let us know on our um, Twitter. Also, please send us photos of your favourite vistas. Of your favourite vistas. Not of your favourite number twos. (laughs) (laughs) Before we wrap up, anything that hasn't been mentioned or anything that has surprised us the most this year? Yeah, I was going to say we talked about Loki season two Mm. and we... Did a bit of a shit on it from a great height, I believe. <laughs> I think, Dan, did you defend it at the time? I would have defended the episodes you're about to talk about, but up to that point, no, I did not get on with it. Sylvie, Sylvie is the worst character in the MCU, fight oh, yeah. me. But I think, yeah, we reviewed it after episode three or four and mm-hmm. didn't really enjoy well, it. I think at that point, the series got much better. Yeah, I think the last two episodes really tied it together and episode made the whole thing make a lot more sense. Episode five would have made a good episode one mm-hmm. for that season. Yeah. Because it had a point. Uh, I actively enjoyed uh, the final episode and yeah, um, it, it, it redeemed it a bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they make a third season, um, I won't automatically not watch it. I will watch a trailer. High and praise decide. indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else at all? Didn't originate this year, but it had a revival this year and that was the Groundhog Day musical. Oh, yes. In London. Yeah. Which I will categorically say way better than the film. Mm. Yes. Wow. Yeah. It's very, mm. very like Tim mentioned songs are yeah. amazing. The best thing I can say about it is within five minutes you forget about Bill Murray. Ooh. Mm. And apparently it's coming to the West End, but not until twenty twenty five because all the theatres are booked up until then. Mm. It's in it's in Australia at the moment. I'll also mention my favourite film of the year, which didn't make it into my top three overall, which is Tar. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the first films I saw this year, way, way back in January, I think Andy was the one who recommended it mm. on here. But every other film I've seen this year, after it, I've thought, was that as good as Tar? And the answer's always been, mm-hmm. not quite. She has not left my head all year. Mm-hmm. A couple of things that surprised me with how good they were. Uh, Rye Lane, back in Rye April, Lane's was brilliant. excellent. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a rom-com, and I don't normally go for those, but that was great. And also, we, uh, we, it took us a while to get around to watching it, but Dungeons and Dragons Yay. Are Amongst Thieves was really, really fun <laughs> really and fun. way better than I expected it to be. Yeah. And if they, if they make another one, I will go to the cinema and watch it. There's excellent castles in there. Lovely vistas. Lovely castles. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I really was surprised by how good Evil Dead Rise was um, in terms of a sequel to a franchise with none of the original actors in it. And... Didn't have great expectations. I think it was originally going to go to straight to streaming and then it got some good audience previews and came out in theatres. It was a, a really big hit. I think it's the highest grossing of them now and mm-hmm. was a really good, proper, scary old school horror movie and was good in all the ways that fucking X piece oh, of oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Change the subject, change the subject. I don't know if we've talked about this before, but Andy, Andy yeah. has a film journal. Some of us have just come up with our lists for this episode. Some of us make lists on our phones as we see stuff, but Andy's had a project. Yeah, I've been keeping a, a journal of all the films I've watched this year, and up to uh, this recording, I've seen 179 films. Mm-hmm. So if you want to pick a random number from 1 to 179, I'll tell you what it was. Do, you, do you have a date? You've told us the best ones. <laughs> I have, that's right, yeah. Can we, get, can we give you a date? Um, I didn't watch a film every day, so oh, okay. I could try and find the film that was closest to that date, but this is just the date I watched Let's- it. Here about film 88. 88. I haven't numbered anything up to (laughs) (laughs) 100. I realised I hadn't numbered. What about number 100? Go to to 100 and then go back 12. That's how maths works. Film number 100 was Thelma and Louise. We saw that in the cinema. We did. Bloody good. You for the first time. Ridley Scott, he can do some good films. (laughs) Does the, the feminism hold up? (laughs) <laughs> you mean, is it going to catch up? Yeah. <laughs> no, I just remember at the time it being lauded as this big progressive feminist film. It's unfortunately more poignant than ever before, mm-hmm. I would say. <gasps> film number 88 was The Eight Mountains. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> 
That is all for this episode of Nerdfest. And in fact, all for this year, oh. we'll be it's, all, it's okay. We'll be back. We'll be back in 2024. Until then, we hope you have You've a... seen the world at the moment, haven't you? There's, there's, I'd say it's 50-50. <laughs> we may be back in 2024. <laughs> Until then, we hope you have a very merry Christmas. And you know what's a nice thing to do at Christmas time? It's nice to give the gift of being nice. And you can give that gift to us by leaving us a nice review. And because we give as good as we get, we've got our very own Santa John to, <laughs> to give you a present right back. Isn't that right, Santa John? Yes, that's right. I'm going to come round to your house with my personal collection of lovely Christmas classics. We're going to have a beautiful night watching some wonderful Christmasy films such as Silent Night, Deadly Night, Black Christmas... Let's see where this is going. Silent Night, Violent Night, and so on and so on until we get into the final Christmas treat of whatever Andy's film for December the 25th is. Ooh, it might be Barbie again. <laughs> until next time, you've been listening to. And who's got 24 miles to go in the marathon and just think she's made a terrible mistake. <laughs> A <laughs> uh, man who didn't have room for his favourite new book of 2023 in his top three, but it's called Eight Billion Genies by Charles Sewell. It's a graphic novel. The premise is, what if everyone on Earth got a genie in one wish at the same time? Ooh, I yes. recommend it. A man who's about ready for his next regeneration. A man who assumes that Godzilla minus one is going to slot in to his top three things of the year. And a woman who fucking loves a vista. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. I've got a challenge for you. Okay. Try and find a review of the film Wonka that doesn't use the word sweet, confection, uh, or... Okay. It's impossible. Yeah, Every single sub-editor thinks they're funny about going, it's this delightful confection of a film, or... It's so sweet. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs>